Hey, it's Matea, reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Canada Land supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Canada Land shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes, like a behind-the-scenes tour of the federal budget lockup, more of Boris Johnson's trip to Canada, and of course, more of us yapping about what's hot in politics right now. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canada Land supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Listen, chumps, give us your money. <laughs> it's still crowdfunding season at Canada Land, and we need your help. Subscriber funding doesn't go to us at Oppo. We've got ads for that. But it does go to a whole lot of other amazing stuff at Canada Land, like Thunder Bay and the We Investigation. Meanwhile, someone's been trying to DDoS attack the entire website and take us off the face of the earth. So we need money to help combat that. Head to patreon.com slash Canada Land. There's a full list of rewards there, including an ad-free stream of all of our shows for $5 a month. Although our ads are pretty funny, so you may want to stick around for those. They're amazing ads. If you pay $10, we'll give you double the ads. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Oppo is brought to you in part by Endy, the 100% Canadian-made mattress. Since its launch in 2015, Endy has become the leading online sleep brand in Canada. The company is headquartered in Toronto, and its signature product, the Endy Mattress, is 100% Canadian-made. Endy was founded because great sleep surface is essential to our well-being, and Canadians deserve a company that just gets it right. No gimmicks, no games, no hidden fees, just one perfectly designed mattress. Go to endy.ca and use the promo code OPPO for $50 off any Endy mattress. Oppo is supported in part by HelloFresh, Canada's most recommended meal kit, dedicated to making home cooking fun and convenient. Each week, HelloFresh delivers pre-measured and pre-chopped ingredients with step-by-step instructions to your door in an insulated box. So when you get home from a busy day, you get to spend more time doing what you love and less time cooking. Fall into a new dinner routine this season and enjoy a delicious home-cooked meal from HelloFresh. For 50% off your first box, visit hellofresh.ca slash podcasts and enter promo code OPPO when you subscribe. From Canada Land, this is Oppo. Justin, this week we're heading into the darkest recesses of 4chan, into the spookiest of the far-right Facebook groups, and delving into the most terrifying debate that's ever happened in Canada. Halloween was last week, Jen. I went as an incel. <laughs> Did you really? No. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yes, this week we're checking in with Oppo alumni David Frum as he does battle with champion of the far right horde Steve Bannon, and we ask ourselves, why? We don't. <laughs> and then we're taking a look at the Canadian Armed Forces. Oh, is something going on with the Canadian Armed Forces? Sure, some soldiers got caught running an online shop selling Rhodesian flags. I'm oh, sorry, they were selling what? Mac Lemoreau from Vice Canada is going to help us figure out what the fuck is going on. This episode of Oppo is brought to you by Endy, the most comfortable mattress you've never slept on. The Canadian-made Endy mattress is made from a unique open-air cell foam, which provides the perfect balance of comfort and support, pressure relief, and motion transfer resistance. So that means you can roll around and your partner won't feel a thing. Unlike traditional memory foam, Endy foam is not temperature sensitive. That means you can expect consistent foam firmness year-round through every Canadian season, even if you sleep outside. Plus, ND Foam releases body heat faster than conventional foam, ensuring a cool and comfortable sleep all night long. Go to ND.ca and use the promo code OPPO for $50 off any ND mattress. 
So, Jen, while we've spent an awful lot of time debating whether or not Steve Bannon should have been given a stage to cover in his slime, I can't help but feel we've been ignoring a massive story. Over the past year, there have been report after report about an absolutely terrifying trend in the Canadian Armed Forces. Investigations from the CBC, the Toronto Star, and even the left-wing news site Ricochet have all identified a growing problem with white supremacy inside the military, and I feel like we're not freaked out enough about it. So I've decided to invite on Mac Lamaru, a journalist with Vice Canada who has, along with my former colleague Ben McCoo, written a gangbuster series of stories identifying the problem with white supremacy and far-right and alt-right activism inside the Canadian military. Hi, Mac. Howdy. What's up? Not much. I'm here to talk about fun things. Yeah, it's only Whee! fun problems like far-right extremism in the military. So honestly, Mac, I was largely unaware of this story. Mm -hmm. What is going on? And my question for you is, are we just talking about a bunch of fringe racist wignuts in the military? Or is this some kind of systemic problem for the Canadian Armed Forces? So essentially what we're talking about, if I'm going to boil it down to a really simple thing, you have these... Uh, these fringe groups, you have uh, Adam Waffen, you have People with an Iron March, which is where Adam Waffen was formed. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, Adam Waffen is a far-right neo-Nazi organization that was linked to five murders within 2017. Um, and you have other groups like the Proud Boys, the less extreme groups such as that, Soldiers of Odin. But what these extreme groups essentially want is they want military-style training for a uh, future race war. That's where this just kind of all ends for them. Oh, okay. um, and <laughs> Oh, just a regular old race war. Yeah, just Rahoa, a regular old it. race war. That's, that's fine. Yeah. I think a lot of people have been aware of, of things like the Proud Boys, you know, this band of misfit mm -hmm. toys who get together and complain that women would sleep with them and then wear Fred Perry shirts and go organize street fights. But, you know, your reporting and other people's reporting have shown that some of these groups are, like, really fucking dangerous. Adam Waffen, like mm -hmm. you said, has resp been responsible for five murders. Are we overlooking this problem? Yeah, we're overlooking it because these groups want us to overlook it. You do have the Proud Boys, you have the Soldiers of Odin, you have Lemire. That these are the uh, above ground groups, is what we're going to call them. These are the groups that don't mind you seeing their face. That they they're going to go out to rallies. They're going to go get into like fights with Antifa. It's the groups that actually want to stay underground that have relatively good operational security that are essentially trying to join the military to get these skills to go and teach other neo Nazis for as we were talking earlier the coming race war. So. We're overlooking it, definitely as media, definitely the Canadian Armed Forces, definitely intelligence are overlooking it, but we're overlooking it as a design of these groups and we have to stop playing into their game. Yeah, they don't talk, we don't see it very often, but that's, we're not supposed to see it. Do we have a sense of, again, just how many people like this could be in the military? Are we talking about hundreds? Are we talking about thousands? I mean, what's your sense of how big this is? I definitely wouldn't go up into the thousands. These groups are relatively small. They're focused on guerrilla warfare. When you're talking about Adam Waffen and you're talking about kind of like the Northwest Front, uh, these groups that are kind of focused on taking like Cascadia for, for the white man. Um, what, is, what is Cascadia? Cascadia is like the Northwest, like Oregon, Washington right. State, uh, BC, Alberta, that kind of want to seize that and make it into a country for white people only. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're, they're white separatists is what you would right. call them. Shit, you're going to make me have to go move back to Toronto, aren't you? This is... <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Once you have to flee the race war. So I'm yeah. not... It's definitely not as prevalent as some people who are running around and saying, but that's not the issue. The issue is that it's there and it needs to be addressed. Uh, I wouldn't say thousands, definitely could be hundreds, but given we don't have much intelligence, and if we do have intelligence, they're not sharing it with media. We just, we don't have an accurate view of how large this problem is, but we know it's a problem. So there's a handful of people you've personally identified, you mm -hmm. and Ben have identified, yep. who have actually been either current or former members of the Canadian Armed Forces. There's one in particular in Nova Scotia, kind of not far Brandon from Cameron, where I'm yeah. from. Tell us a little bit about, about these guys. Like, you know, who are they? Are they actually... 
ever high up, but these guys just committed basic training. You know, what is their whole end game here? Yeah, these are not people that want to become military lifers. These are people that want to join either the reserves or they want to join to get basic training. They want to go in there. They want to get some firsthand experience with survivalist tactics. They want to get some firsthand experience with guns. Um, if you're a member of the reserve, you don't have to spend too, too much time there, which actually also works for them because then you're not going to be identified as uh, having militarily uh, right-wing views, far-right views, I should say. And they want to get this training and then they want to go out and spread this training so they can have this kind of built-in paramilitary-style operation, not just from, you know, LARPing, as they call it, or just learning to hunt and then believing that's going to transfer. They want to learn how to operate. You know the term operate, yeah. right? So they want to learn how to operate more or less. I think a lot of people would look at this and their automatic reaction is like, oh, yeah, right. Like, you're never going to take over the Canadian military, you know? Yeah. It's not as though, you know, the Canadian government's going to fall to yeah. neo-Nazis in the next little while. So people kind of brush it off as not being a threat. But the real threat is you go and you get your basic training, yeah. you stick around, you do a sniper course, you do your yeah. survivalist course, and then you leave two years later and you go teach all your buddies in the woods of fucking northern yeah. Saskatchewan. And you're a hell of a lot more dangerous now. And if you do end up deciding to, you know, take out a hit on some prominent Jewish leader or mm-hmm. some you know gay rights activist, mm-hmm. suddenly you are much more dangerous because you're not just some buffoon with mm-hmm. an AR-15. You're some guy who knows exactly what he's doing in terms of potentially explosives, yeah. you know, automatic weapons, knives. Like it, It's actually quite a fucking terrifying thing. The real question I have here is, it seems to me that given the sorts of training and techniques that you get when you go through either the reserves or go through um, basic training mm-hmm. with, with the Canadian Armed Forces, that there should be some degree of background checks being done. Like they shouldn't necessarily be just taking literally everybody off the street, that they should yeah. be spending some time doing, you know, a check of your of your you know social media history, mm-hmm. maybe get references, you know, the, exactly the same sorts of things that you would generally get if you were applying for a job at Starbucks, you know, at the very least. Mm-hmm. So are the forces doing that? The forces are doing that. They're for sure doing that. And also when you're in there, you're not allowed to really expose these views. I spoke to one active duty person who wasn't allowed to go on the record with me, but he essentially said that they're almost more left-wing than the general Canadian population because if you do expose these views, you're you're it's immediately nipped in the butt. They don't want this, and I sincerely believe they don't want it in there. But these are people that if you go about doing it smart, no one's going to know. You're not going to have a social media history of this. If you're actually serious about doing this, you're not going to talk about it on Facebook. You're not going to talk about it on Twitter. The people that we've identified are the people that haven't been very good at having this operational security. And it took us months of tracking down video game usernames and just using all this information to try and find out who these people are. Because a lot and, of these guys are using like Discord servers yeah. and are you know completely anonymous. And yeah, and servers you've never heard of. Well. Riot, Matrix. Yeah. yeah, and they cover their tracks really well. And that's actually the scary thing when you think about this is we've only caught and identified the dumbest of these people. It's the ones that we have no idea that are out there that is worrisome. And I understand how nihilistic that statement can sound, but it's the truth. So what is the, the what can the Canadian Armed Forces do to help root this stuff out and make sure that they're not giving in unwittingly training terrorists, essentially? That's, that's a big question. That's a million dollar question, though, isn't it? I know... One of the things some people are talking about is you got to create a atmosphere within there where they don't feel welcome, where you're a lot more welcoming of minorities, you're welcoming a woman. Uh, I know General Vance speaking to the Toronto Star not too long ago. He he actively addressed this. 
he acknowledged that in the past they had a big problem with women. They were very misogynistic and they addressed that and they need to do that now with these white supremacist groups. And this this was a thing in the past, too. If you're going back to the 90s, you have this small affair. This has been a thing within the Canadian military that has always been there and probably will always be there. It's just the extent that you can get it. You can kind of nip it in the butt. The military is always going to attract people like this and the opportunity to get this type of training is always going to attract people like this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so obviously the Somaliad Fair, a lot of people don't remember what this is, but you know, this was, people have called it like Canada's national shame. This mm-hmm. was a massive scandal. Going back to about 1992, 1993, the Canadian Armed Forces deployed to Somalia for a peacekeeping operation. Uh, we sent something called the Canadian Airborne Regiment. And if you haven't heard of that, it's because it doesn't exist anymore because of what happened. Uh, the Canadian Airborne Regiment shot two Somali youth. One of them died. One of them was beaten and tortured before his death. What basically came from the investigation into that incident was that a number of members of the Canadian Airborne Regiment espoused far-right neo-Nazi white supremacist mm-hmm. views. There was videos of them, you know, wearing clan hoods, you know, all sorts of ridiculous shit. There's actually, I found this clip that is actually I, I'm in love with. It's Rex Murphy of all fucking people kind of laying out exactly what happened after a lot of these videos came out. I'll play it right now yeah. so we, we can give a listen because it's actually Rex Murphy being at his most reasonable. I've got a great idea for a television show, Canada's least funny home videos. As long as Canadian Airborne Regiment is kept supplied with cameras, it should have a good run. Just yesterday, clips were aired from a 1992 show at Petawawa of an initiation ceremony, all bowels and bladders, and an especially delicious cameo featuring the unit's one black soldier being tied to a tree while KKK was stenciled on his back with feces for ink. So that's fucked up. Yeah, well, and actually to bring it completely full circle, you had one of these Airborne Regiment members after it was shut down actually go and train the Heritage Front. The, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, so like, this is a thing. Yeah. Guys, like, it's a thing. <laughs> and I, I feel you've been so nonchalant about this. It's, it's been amazing. Yeah. You know, I've been watching Question Period. No one's fucking asking about this. This is, and I don't think you can necessarily say the Canadian Armed Forces are asleep at the switch here. They're not, they're not fucking it up, but there's almost certainly things that could get done better, and it will get done better if we pay attention to it. And it seems like we are just so indifferent. Mac, Mac, so here, no, here's my question. Did the Canadian Armed Forces uh, actually take proactive steps to sort of address this from the Somali affair? And has this problem actually gotten worse since the 90s? Or is it better? Do we know? It got better for a little while. They took a lot of steps. Yeah, it was a big deal back then. They, as we were talking, they essentially they shut down the Air Force Regiment, which was kind of like a special forces thing. And yeah, for a long time, they were combating this. And I'm not going to say they're not combating it. It's just that these people have gotten a hold of new material. They've gotten uh, new networking capabilities through the internet and everything like this. And we're seeing another wave of far-right populism, far-right rhetoric, and they're just going to need to step up their game. I don't think there's ever been a point where they haven't, they're like, oh, we'll welcome everybody in, but they have to do better is what I'll say. Well, the, the other question I have is, is there any discussion or has there ever been a discussion about using the Canadian military to sort of deprogram some of these people or to, to create sort of counter ideological messaging that challenges that worldview? Has that ever been considered? 
If it has been, I don't know. I know that there are some really good exit programs run out of Sweden and other Scandinavian countries that do utilize some of their military. As far as I know, it's not run out of Canada. I do know we do have some de-radicalization programs. We have that one in Montreal. And we have some experts like Ryan Scrivens, uh, Dr. Barbara Perry. And there's networks like Like After Hate run by former neo-Nazi Christian Piccinelli. But as far as I know, the Canadian military isn't doing that. I would really like to be corrected on that. Yeah, I, I don't think there's yeah. any evidence. And and maybe that's for the best. I mean, at a certain point, the Canadian military is a military mm. force. Yeah. It's not necessarily not necessarily yeah. the best avenue, but it's an interesting but question. One, one of the things that happened recently, that at the very least, remember those Proud Boys that marched in Halifax? One of them was just kicked out. So they didn't try and de-radicalize him or anything. He was just removed. Uh, I know they were talking about... Brandon Cameron removing him, but he had already kind he of... He was one of the Adam Waffen yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah who, was, who he'd be more or less removed himself. And I really do want to underscore the fact that I don't think we're paying enough attention to this. And kind of underscoring that fact is, is that CSIS does not seem to be making right-wing extremism the mm-hmm. priority it has, say, made Islamic extremism yeah. or other forms of extremism in the past. That makes it even harder for us to root out yeah. um, these guys in the military because if CSIS was doing consistent surveillance of what is undoubtedly hate and or terrorist groups, we would have a better sense of, you know, how they may have infiltrated or used the Canaan armed forces. But, you know, but wait, wait, how do we, we know tell, that? How, how do we know that CSIS isn't doing that? Well, the same way we, we know of CSIS's other operations. I mean, access to information requests and, you know, basically questions to the government about priorities mm-hmm. have suggested that CSIS is aware of the problem, but it's not devoting the same level of resources it is to, say, Islamic extremism. Yeah. And that's based on a lot of reporting from the Toronto Star, Alex Bootler in particular, mm-hmm. uh, as well as a handful of others. I think Stuart you've done a little Bella bit of Global, this. Yeah, if anybody that. from CSIS wants to come on Oppo to have that conversation, <laughs> I would be super pleased. We should have like another... There was a really fun moment when Stuart Bell published a Access to Information Act that within the, the documents that he got, uh, it was CSIS literally downplaying the reporting Ben and I had been doing the series where they were like, just because you read a Vice report doesn't mean that this is a problem. <laughs> and we're like, oh, weird. That's a good motto. Just because you read a Vice report doesn't mean there's a problem. So, Mac, thank you. That was so helpful. I wanted to get a little bit more of detail about what the Canadian Forces is doing to combat the rise of far-right extremism inside the military. And so, luckily, they decided, for whatever reason, to help us out. I got to speak for a little while with the commander of the Canadian Army, Lieutenant General Jean-Marc Lantier, just a couple days ago. And uh, we got to talk a little bit about what they're actually doing to root out extremism in the military. So, Lieutenant General, maybe you can just honestly sort of summarize the problem for us. Obviously, you know, anybody watching the news has seen news stories in abundance over the last year about supposedly white supremacy, you know, far-right leaning infiltration and in some, some of the language in the Canadian Armed Forces. Are the Armed Forces taking this seriously? So we're, we're taking it extremely seriously. I, I'd like to say first that I ca- characterize the current situation as, as not a widespread issue. There are a few isolated, punctual incidents, and in every case, we take swift and decisive action. Uh, Discrimination, racism, harassment, all behaviors that are absolutely intolerable and in clear violation of our code of values and ethics. Can you give me some specifics about uh, what's being done here? Obviously, you know, the Canadian Armed Forces is probably not in the business of giving political values tests to uh, armed forces members. So how are you dealing with this? How are you finding those who are either members of kind of far-right groups or or whatever sort of extremist groups? Um, And and what are you doing if you you do find evidence that they may be members of those those organizations? 
So, right. So when, when a member enrolls, you know, we'll do a reliability and loyalty investigation on the member. Uh, there's an organization here in Armed Forces that does that, uh, and that's the first screening. Uh, after that is when something is brought to our attention. In this case, you know, a story broke out. Uh, we, we immediately take, take action. In this very specific case right now, you know, the four Canadian Armed Forces member, uh, two have already been temporarily relieved of duties. Two others have been served a notice of intent to temporarily remove, and they have the right under personal fairness to make representation to allow the commanding officer to make a decision. Uh, and at the same time, this is happening to know if this warrants a, a uh, absolutely removal from their duties or even leading to a release from the armed forces, there is a summary investigation that's ongoing. And that's an internal administrative fact-finding investigation to determine if other type of investigation are warranted and if we need to take administrative or disciplinary measures. Now, walk me through some of these investigations. You know, people are, I think, maybe a little bit familiar with military justice, but I'm sure they're even less familiar with sort of sort of the internal processes inside the Canadian Armed Forces. What does an investigation like this look like? Um, you know, what sort of steps would you take and, and, and what would actually lead to someone being, you know, uh, kicked out of the of the armed forces? We have multiple levels and the investigations are ongoing. Uh, the, the, those summary investigations are appointed by a superior commanding officer uh, at formation level. Usually uh, he issues terms of reference and he says, I want you to do a fact finding uh, research of the following uh, things and come up with findings. That investigating officer uh, is trained to do that. He has uh, he can use the administrative investigation support center, uh, which is the specialist or the center of excellence for investigation. And he does findings. And with those findings is where the officer that's convened that investigation decides there is actually. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Things that weren't either administrative measures. And what are administrative measures? Is we give you a recorded warning. We, give, we put you on counseling and probation. Or we actually do an administrative review that may lead to you are no longer uh, of use to the Canadian Forces because of your extremist view, and then you are released. So that's the, the uh, summary investigation. Uh, other type of investigation are military police investigation or national investigation services, which are very formal, done by professional trained investigators. Now, this is not the first time the Canadian Armed Forces has had this problem, you know, through the Somalia affair and the inquiry that came from that, the problem of white supremacy or extremism inside the inside the forces, to whatever extent that it was a problem, was identified, you know, more than more than a decade ago. In revisiting the problem, I mean, looking back, were enough lessons taken then? You know, did it take media reports for the Canadian Armed Forces to sort of sit up and say, Oh yeah, we have a we have this problem again or maybe that it never really went away? So again, uh, you know, Somalia asked 25 years ago, uh, many things have happened. We've really formalized our code of values and our code of, uh, of ethics. You know, that there's actually a document that exists, a 38-page document that clearly lays out the expected behavior and the consequences of not adhering to those. You know, um, there, there, there's an ongoing annual mandated training requirement on, on the code of ethics and our code of ethos. 
the chief of the defense uh, staff. Uh, I've issued uh, earlier this year, a, uh, it's a Ken Fortune, it's a general order to all uh, uniformed people on what is acceptable and expected and, and how to deal with it. So we, we've, over the years, we've learned, but again, they're isolated incidents. You know, the, the Canadian Force is about 90,000 people. There's a couple of cases that surface here and there. So, you know, if, if I'd say uh, that's your scorecard, we're at about a 99.9% defect from that perspective. So we're doing well, but every single case is absolutely unacceptable. Obviously, the Canadian Armed Forces has tried increasingly over the last several years to improve its recruitment for non-white people, for women, for sexual minorities. Even one of these cases, I think, what I would suggest, is, is bad for, for advertising and for recruiting uh, in those, those camps. So does more need to be done? Does the Canadian Armed Forces need to be a little more proactive and uh, in making sure that this doesn't happen, or is there just a certain level of that this is going to happen because uh, bad eggs are going to be bad eggs? No, I, I think we've got to communicate clearly uh, to the Canadian population that we take decisive action. You know, Operation Honor that addresses inappropriate and harmful sexual behavior is a clear example. You know, we got a report from uh, Justice Deschamps, and, and we, you know, the chief immediately came out and established an operation order. Then, you know, he, he orders people to cease and, and stop all of this to happen. So, in this case, you know, my message, and, and thank you for providing me that opportunity to communicate with Canadians, that this is unacceptable. You know, this allows me to push that message out to Canadians that this is unacceptable. And if you are a victim of that, or if we see that type of behavior, we will eradicate it. That's what we'll aim absolutely at doing quickly. Lieutenant General, thanks for taking the time. Well, thank you so much. ABBO is supported in part by HelloFresh, Canada's most recommended meal kit, dedicated to making home cooking fun and convenient. Don't waste your money on takeout. Cook something healthier and pay less for it. Why not try a bed of golden gnocchi, tossed with roasted butternut squash, creamy ricotta, toasted pine nuts, and punchy arugula. You could come home to the ingredients and directions for that pan-fried gnocchi, It'll just take 35 minutes to cook, and you'll feel better for doing it. Each week, HelloFresh delivers pre-measured and pre-chopped ingredients with step-by-step instructions to your door in an insulated box. So when you get back home from a busy day, you get to spend more time doing what you love and less time cooking. For 50% off your first box, visit HelloFresh.com podcasts and enter the promo code OPPO when you subscribe. So if you were on Twitter, you definitely heard nothing about this. But this past Friday, the Monk Debates decided to host a debate on the following resolution. Be it resolved that the future of politics is populist, not liberal. The whole debate was controversial from the start. Obviously, the uh, mobs of Tifa were not crazy about the horrid Steve Bannon showing up in Toronto. Yeah, and if you didn't catch the debate, it is exactly what you could have imagined. It was a haunted garbage bag of pork cutlets up against a George W. Bush flunky, and it was about as entertaining as watching a bunch of puppies get fed into a wood chipper. Uh, did you like it? <laughs> Good woke cynical facade, Justin. Meanwhile, Miss <laughs> Ernest Liberal over here. I thought that uh, David Frum gave one of the performances of his career. I thought that David Frum <laughs> That's gave not saying much. <laughs> Fair. I thought David Frum gave one of the performances of his career, and I think his opening and closing statements in particular were stand in the long run as one of the great rebuttals against the appeal of reactionary populism. You know, I actually think David Frum owes us a note of gratitude. I mean, we were the ones who propped up his moribund career and really gave him the, you know, uh, public attention that he then parlayed into being invited to the, the monk debate. Yeah, if only we had deplatformed him early, uh, his form of white supremacism <laughs> would not be spreading through the, the halls of Roy Thompson Hall in Toronto, I'm sure. We should call it the oppo bump. We, we gave Dave from the oppo bump. He, he, really, he, really, he really loved that interview, by the way. I can only imagine. 
So obviously, the the big first question, I think, at the beginning of all of this is, should Steve Bannon have been invited to the Monk debates in the first place? Obviously, if you're not really familiar with the Monk debates, it's where they invite two people supposedly from different sides of an issue. And usually it's a vaguely controversial topic. There was one with Jordan B. Peterson. There's one on the nature of you know political correctness and all this. And they're kind of designed to make people a little bit angry. Oh, yeah, they're debates. And obviously, (laughs) you know, obviously Steve Bannon is more than just, you know, a controversial figure. He's arguably a dangerous figure who is helping to spread reactionary populism worldwide. Many people are very deeply angry and legitimately angry that the monk chose to give him a platform at all, arguing that it normalized his racist, anti-Semitic and deeply divisive views. Of all people, I was actually a little surprised, you know, we, we have a little segment on the show of where the fuck is the NDP? And the NDP this week was calling for Steve Bannon to be uninvited from the monk debates because, you know, of all the things the NDP is going to decide to have an opinion about. This is probably the one in which I'm like, yeah, guys, just shut up. Like this, this ain't <laughs> honestly the, this the civil society can handle this one. They can oppose David Frum and Steve Bannon without you guys stepping in. So, so frankly, I think it was a mistake to invite Steve Bannon. I, you know, after he was invited, after it was announced, I didn't see the real benefit in pulling him. I mean, you know, he's already coming. Pulling him at this point is, is just trying to make up for what was a stupid decision in the first place. Honestly, once you've already invited him, I, I don't really see the point in deplatforming him. Either you think it's a good idea that people should hear his ridiculous views, or you don't. And obviously the monk organizers thought that his views are, are worth listening to. And I mean... <sighs> They're not going to change their anything after that is disingenuous for them to uninvite him. Okay, so I, I've kind of built a, an elaborate metaphor to explain my position on this. And that is, if you are someone who opposes fascism and fascist ideology, and I would count myself in that crew, and I'm sure, Justin, you would count yourself in that crew. Most days. I have the occasional fascist Tuesday. I, I mean, everybody has the occasional fascist Tuesday. But essentially, you have a quiver full of arrows at your disposal. And these arrows are your weapons against fascism, right? You have protest completely 100% legitimate tool. You have deplatforming, again, legitimate tool. You have potentially violence if you choose to go there as an individual. You have humor, you have self-care, you have all of these things that you can pull out, you know, put them in your bow and hit the fascists with it, right? You sound like Antifa, Jen. Well, there you go. I'm I'm the most Antifa of the lot. You know, like, I, I, <laughs> you know, I'm saying like all of these, all of these arrows are potentially legitimate tools for you as an individual to use. But one of the most powerful and effective arrows in your quiver, the fastest and the sharpest one you have in there is debate. The ability to take that arrow and shoot it at the intellectual underpinnings that hold up fascist ideology is probably the single most effective way to change people's minds. And I'm not saying you have to use debate. Sometimes it's not appropriate to use that arrow, just like it's maybe not appropriate to use some of the other arrows. You have to be strategic about which tools you're going to use and at which times, right? Like you don't have to debate every Nazi you run into in Twitter. That's a waste of your time. You don't have to debate every white nationalist who comes to campus. That's a waste of your time. But if Mephistopheles him fucking self comes up on stage, opens a still beating heart in front of a live YouTube goddamn feed, then my godchild take the shot. So like this is, and this is my problem with when you frame everything as a platform versus deep platform, that narrow, unnuanced kind of uh, narrative is that but essentially when you, when you reduce it to that, then essentially what you're saying is like, it's totally legitimate to throw a brick through a window because you're an anti-fascist protester, but it's not legitimate to debate people and challenge people whose views you fundamentally disagree with. And that's my fundamental problem with the platform versus deplatform. I've got no problem with any single one of the protesters who, who attended Roy Thompson Hall and protested that debate. Good for you. You are following through in your beliefs. Nothing but power to you. But I also have no fundamental problem with the monk debate 
choosing to host that debate altogether. Let's stop pretending as though the theatrical performance of having two white guys on stage talking coherently at each other in front of a whole bunch of people in suits is a debate. Nobody could watch that monk debate and think to themselves, yes, this is a, a good encapsulation of the broader societal conversation that's happening. No, it, it's two middle-aged men who have enjoyed an, a tremendous amount of failing upwards in their career having a conversation that they have no business having. I mean, Wait, wait, uh, okay, so wait a minute. So two middle-aged men can't have a debate on societal issues on a stage? Sure they can, but let's stop pretending as though it is the nuclei of... I'm not pretending a damn thing. I'm not pretending that this is the only method Everyone of else debate. Is. I'm not saying you are. Literally, we're, we've spent so much blood, sweat, and tears caring about enormous, this one fucking just, debate. Just built, well, yeah, that's true. We've spent way too much caring about this one debate. But you're the one who's building an enormous straw man by pretending like this debate means more than it is. I'm not delegitimizing debate that's happening on Twitter. I'm not delegitimizing debate Did you debate hear the intro to the Monk debates? It, it was this, uh, thank you for coming to uh, the most important conversation. Like, we have fetishized these, these two men and basically putting on a performance. No, they can choose to do their own marketing if they want to do their own marketing. I mean, I'm, I would reject that point of view. I think debates that happen on Twitter are legitimate and real. And I think debates that happen at Roy Thompson Hall among two middle-aged men can be legitimate and real. Like, that's... It's just a, just a stupid distinction. But, but here's my other huge problem with what happened on Friday night, and it's that David Frum was there. Oh, my God. If you're going to put Steve Bannon up against somebody, give me somebody who he actually disagrees with. Give me a Naomi Klein. Give me a union boss like Richard Trumka. Give me the Philadelphia Flyers mascot, Gritty. I want Gritty to debate Steve Bannon. Like That is the debate I want to see. Okay. If we're going to play theatrics, let's make it theatrical. So you've already seeded my point that debate is legitimate. You're just now disagreeing about who gets to have the the other side of the No, floor. it's both. I disagree with you on everything. <laughs> okay, so... If you're going to do this, actually have it be a real exciting like, debate. What, what are the legitimate criticisms of the Monk debate? And I think this is a legitimate criticism, is, is from is the wrong person to be debating Bannon for any number of reasons, largely because of his past with the previous Bush administration and because of his work toward getting the public on side with what turned out to be a totally immoral and unjustified war in Iraq. These are legitimate points of disagreement. I'm not really going to defend Frum on either of those points. And when Frum was on this show, I believe I gave him an extraordinary amount of hell on these exact issues. So like, let's let's just take that and concede that point altogether. But why don't we have Naomi Klein? Why don't you have a progressive debating the other side of this motion, right? Why don't you have an actual legitimate progressive coming out and uh, defending basic liberal values, right? And the answer to that is pretty straightforward, and that's because progressives are no longer champion of liberal values. Uh, okay, okay, let what? me unpack that. <laughs> let me unpack that. Because when we're talking about liberal values, no, when we're what? talking about liberal values, we're talking about a specific thing. I'm not talking about capital L partisan liberal values. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I there's like a general cluster of liberal values that we generally associate with that term, right? We're talking about rationality, the supremacy of the individual. We're talking about free markets, albeit free markets that are somewhat constrained by regulation and, and, and welfare states. We're talking about property rights. We're talking about non-arbitrary use of the rule of law. We're talking about free speech. And increasingly, people who are on the progressive side of, of the standard don't necessarily believe or want to argue on behalf of those values. So if you that's want to exactly talk about Steve Bannon's point. That's exactly the argument he made when he walked out to make his opening yes, statement. Did. And this is exactly why I want to hear this debate happen, because I think that is fucking nonsense. Steve Bannon comes out and he says, 
The debate is not between, uh, you know, populism versus, I'm not sure I'm doing this voice. That's not at all what he sounds like. He sounds more like, um, kind of like a haunted, melted pumpkin. That's kind of what he sounds like. Uh, anyway, he gets out there and he kind of says, the real debate is between nationalist populism and socialist populism. I'm like, okay, let's have that debate. I mean, that is, that is the real debate that's happening. I actually want, I want to hear the progressives defend those charges that you just levied against them. Okay. Because I think if you look at and most that, progressives, from Bernie Sanders to, to Jagmeet Singh, I think they're going to stand up and defend free speech. They're going to stand up and defend property, right? I think painting them with that brush is completely exactly what Steve Bannon wants to do. Steve Bannon wants the fight to be the David Frums of the world, the people who did wreck the economy, the people who are wildly incompetent, the people who are now championing these liberal uh, norms and mores that they spent decades trashing when they were in government. Okay, so Mr. 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 Progressive, can I make a note here? You've just accepted Steve Bannon's framing of the issue. I'm the one who's rejecting Steve Bannon's framing of the issue. Yeah, that's right. And secondly, the other thing, the other point that you're making here is one that I'm going to make. And that is the reason why you don't get someone on the left on the far left to go and debate Steve Bannon on some of these issues is because there are people on the far left whose positions would effectively mirror much of what Stephen Bannon said last night. Like what? Name me one. Like the fact that the liberal world order is fundamentally flawed and broken and that the liberal elite broke it. That, that the future is fundamentally populist and that populist upswell will dismantle that liberal world order, that the liberal world order is responsible for the last, you know, 20 years of economic failure and war. By the way, these are the roots of populism, right? The roots of reactionary populism, yeah. right? And I actually think that From himself conceded those points and said, yeah, you're right, we fucked up. Like, there's no, there's no d- debate so about this So then why is one. he defending it? Well, why is he the one to defend it? Because what Bannon is proposing to replace it with is much, much worse. And I mean, I think that one of the most, Agreed. one of the crucial points that he made in the debate last night was, you know, just because that liberal world order failed, just because a good, well-intentioned world order failed or, or screwed up or made mistakes is no, is no reason to replace it with something fundamentally more evil. Right. Well, th- and that's fine. But let's let's actually listen to people who want to replace with something more, you know, compassionate. We're basically interviewing the guy who crashed the car and the guy who wants to replace the car with the tank. And it's like, well, there's people over here who want a hybrid car. There's people who, over there who want a bicycle. Let's talk to them. You know what? Like, let's stop pretending as though Steve Bannon is exactly as evil as people on the far left. That's the, well, they're, they're they're not. I'm not making that claim here. And I would also point out that the the real difference between um, populist socialism and nativist populism, which is sort of what Steve Bannon proposes, is that nativist populism is fundamentally divisive and racist, and uh, socialist populism is not. So there isn't yeah. there isn't the moral equivalency here, yes. and, I'm, and I'm acknowledging that wholeheartedly. Yep. But you know the problem with Bannon's framing here, and the framing that you've accepted, and the reason why I have a problem with it is because there's more than just those two options. It's not like we have to just completely destroy our current world system and replace it with socialism and just and abolish all free markets. And it's not like we have to accept Bannon's version of evil, racist, division, reactionary populism. But the person who's defending that position is actually David Frum. I mean, look, whatever flaws Frum has, and I'm, I conceded those right off the top, whatever flaws he has as an, as an individual, he's also, I would say nowadays, probably one of the most eloquent and ardent defenders of classical liberalism. And he's also one of the most effective anti-Trump critics operating today. You know, if I were to pick my top anti-Trump critic, it's not going to be someone hashtag resistance. It's, you know, it's David Frum. Now, that may be a reaction of, of my own particular worldview and my own particular uh, politics, but he's he'd be the guy I'd pick. I, I, do, I do feel like... It is also worth underscoring that it, it it is odious. And, you know, I'm being a little cute. You know, I think Bannon won because there was no way for him to lose, really. He won before the debate started. But suffice to say that it was immoral for the monk debates to invite him in the first place. I mean, he has become one of the largest purveyors of very virulent anti-Semitism 
around the world right now. You know, his support for Viktor Orban in Hungary, who is currently leading um, a completely wild conspiratorial crusade against George Soros, um, which really is just an icon for anti-Semitism, is it's fucking disgusting. And you can draw, it's not a direct line, but there's a line between Steve Bannon's you know, rise in prominence to the shooting at a synagogue just a couple of, of days ago. And I think uh, we have to start wrestling with that because covering our ears and saying modern anti-Semitism on the right and on the left, it's not a problem, is really fucking dangerous. Okay, so while, while agreeing with everything you've just said about Stephen Bannon and, and your characterization of Stephen Bannon entirely, I'd point out that if it was immoral for the monk debates to invite him, it's also equally immoral for us to even be talking about him. And I reject both of those positions. Yeah. Look, I, I'm, I'm going to agree with you on a couple of points here. One, populism isn't necessarily bad. Okay, it can be channeled into something into positive and it can be channeled into positive reform. Right. And the positive reform, I think we're all in agreement is necessary, but it's a really volatile, dangerous energy. And if you're going to tap it, you risk being overwhelmed by it. So on the whole, I think that I'm going to prefer to stick with uh, classical liberalism. And I think that I would probably repeat one of David Frum's lines from that debate, probably his best line. And that is just because a good system made mistakes is not reason to replace it with an evil one. No, fuck that. Give me gritty. (laughs) (laughs) that's it for oppo we are back in two weeks let us know what you think by getting in touch at oppo at canadalandshow.com or find us on twitter and facebook at oppocast commons continues its look at corruption across the country when they return next week this episode was produced by david crosby for candleland media our managing editor is kevin sexton and the music was by nathan burley i have the last word this week and that word is gritty (laughs) and to leave you this week we're going to play one of the worst things i've heard in canadian politics in a long time which is rookie mpp in ontario sam oosterhoff singing the monster mash about the carbon tax which is real evidence that our politics have completely failed and gritty 4 p.m. Thank you, Speaker. Uh, This is to be uh, done to the tune of Monster Mash. In the corner office, we heard Kathleen say, we need more money, let's make them pay. Glenn said, there's no problem, there's a law we can pass. We'll drive up the price on a tank of gas. They did the tax. They did the carbon tax. They did the tax. They wanted all of your cash. They did the tax. We wouldn't have any stash. They did the tax. They did the carbon tax. Then Doug and his team saw through Kathleen's scheme and said, no more money from the people you'll bleed. The people agreed and they armed for the fight and sent the libs packing on election night. We stopped the tax. We stopped the carbon tax. We stopped the tax. We stopped the carbon tax. Stopped the tax. You'll keep more of your cash. We stopped the tax. We're open for business, so relax. The liberals were having such great fun. The party with the taxpayers' money had begun. When Premier Ford and the Conservatives stopped the carbon tax. We stopped the tax. We stopped the carbon tax. We stopped the tax. They wanted to take from your stash. We stopped the tax. You'll keep more of your cash. We stopped the tax. We stopped the carbon tax. Hey, it's Matea, reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Canada Land supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Canada Land shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes, like a behind-the-scenes tour of the federal budget lockup, more of Boris Johnson's trip to Canada, and of course, more of us yapping about what's hot in politics right now. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canada Land supporter. 
So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com slash join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 